Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. This is Paul Hawksby. And Andy Jacobs. And this is the H&J Daily with some of the best bits of this afternoon's show, which uh, featured Matthew Side, the author and journalist and Olympian. He came in. He was good value, wasn't he? Covered yeah, some ground. I always enjoy speaking to Matthew. It's always yeah. interesting. We covered quite a lot of topics. Yeah. Um, we spoke to our man in Italy, Sheridan yeah. Berlusconi. Silvio Berlusconi is back in football, isn't he? He's, uh, he's bought Monza just down the road from Milan. So you find out more about about that and uh, we had a bit of a chat and we had some clips didn't we? Yeah, that's it. That's it, here it all is. Good afternoon everyone, good afternoon Andy. Good afternoon Paul. And uh, yeah, um, uh, some tea Harry's working with today, kindly brought in a couple of teas, I've got a little minty tea and he has these kind of very specialist Japanese tea bags. (laughs) I know that doesn't surprise you, (laughs) not for him, for a couple couple of builders. Genmaisha or Genmoisha as the producer once called it. that's right, but he he sends it back, and he sends it back because it was the wrong tea and uh, Harry, his old bottom lip went. I know, he looked a bit upset. So I said mine's fine Harry and Andy went Oh, it's nothing personal. Because <laughs> no, you didn't dare it like that. You went, mine's fine, oh, well, I was, I was winding you up. I was winding you up, Andy, because you're such an old tart when it comes to your tea. But I think, Andy, it's nothing personal, Jacobs. I quite like that. It's the sort you could see. T-shirts, it's a great catchphrase. The Especially other one you when everything before, I say is personal. The other, yeah, the other one you had, you wouldn't expect June Whitfield to do that. It's a bit too much of a mouthful, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit dated And, of course, now. Steve Backley was there. That's too much of a yes, mouthful. Yes, that's but true. It's nothing personal. I could, that I could, could take like that. off. Mugs, T-shirts. I could be on the fast show. You can, why? Yeah, who knows? We'll, have, we'll put a word in for you. And uh, last night I went out for dinner, actually. Oh, a okay. very nice uh, meal. And sitting at the next table was Jamie Lang from uh, Made in Chelsea. Oh, yeah. Various other reality stars. What a nice bloke he seems. I Did you have a chat with him? Well, I couldn't eavesdrop Charles Sale style because of social distancing. The tables are too far apart now. Right. But I did notice that he he didn't have none of them at the table had mobiles, which I thought was very refreshing. As the wife and I stared into our mobiles, not talking to each other. Got, but, I mean, is no. that stage? Is it a secret no, about that's your not marriage? True. That isn't what happened. Okay, right. <laughs> Only slightly. And uh, and then afterwards, it's quite near the river. This restaurant, so we just went for a little walk. It's not far from Fulham's ground. And uh, this posh bloke comes along and he says... Um, posh bloke? Uh, seriously. And In Fulham? Yeah. Not not drunk or anything. He seemed perfectly oh. normal. And he went, excuse me, have you got a, a cigarette and a lighter? 
I went, no, not really. Then he, then he went up to somebody else. Excuse me, have you got a cigarette in the light? I've never seen a posh bloke bumming a fag like that. It's yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> Incredible. There you go. Uh, That's it, good. The, how, how many, did he kind of work the room? Was he walking around? Well, he was walking, walking along, yeah, he was walking along the... Uh, so he wants the cigarette and someone to light it for him, or did he want to take the lighter as well? No, I just think he wanted a cigarette and a light, yeah. Oh, OK. Well, it's no point having a cigarette without a light, I suppose. And uh, David Weir messaged me. <laughs> well, then you could rub some sticks together. Yeah, right. yeah. David Weir, the great Paralympian, messaged me last night. Oh, did he? Really? Yeah. To say that had I seen the, the Phoenix Rising, that's what it's called, isn't Rising it? Rising Phoenix. Rising Phoenix, I'm sorry. Yeah. And uh, I said, he said it's excellent. He recommended it. And uh, I said, no, I'm going to watch it. And I said, we had the director on last week. We had them both on, yeah. Thank you, yeah, Harry. Yeah. That's perfect. Is that the right tea? Yeah, again, my but show. But do remember, when he had a pop at you earlier on, Andy? Nothing personal. Nothing personal. <laughs> he forgot his own catchphrase. I did, I did It's it. nothing personal, Andy. Yeah, it's okay. brilliant, isn't it? You want to get John Inman saying... <laughs> Free, <laughs> would you? No, no. Anyway, uh, what was I going to say? Forthcoming marriages. Oh yeah, this one feels right. Um, Mr. A G W talks is marrying Miss A V Lean, and I'm thinking if they have a son, I hope they call him Ted. They've got to. Haven't they? What's that? Ted. Ted talks. Ted talks. Okay, that'd be great. How are you spelling that? Is that is T A L K S? Really, the Ted talks, talks family. The talks. Right? I've got to call him Edward Talks. They must do. Talking be. of names, Andy, yes. uh, you've probably seen uh, quite a lot of those names that are dying out. It's, it's another bad year for the Trevors. Oh, yeah. You see that? We talk, I think, every year they bring out the names that people aren't calling their kids anymore. And poor old Trev, uh, that one says... A bit in the dust. Andrews, Andy, have plummeted as well. Yeah, all all the old-fashioned names have gone. But Andrew, 284 to 222, mm. uh, apparently. Dewars are up <laughs> on the back of Dewar Leaper. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I thought we meant, we meant the butchers. No. Oh, okay. Yes, oh, the, the whisk- oh, sorry, the 126 yep. people have now been called Dewar on the back of Dewar Leaper. Okay, what yeah, about that? And also, um, what was the other one? Um, Tarrens. Tarrens. Off of uh, Taron uh, Egerton, the actor. Oh, yeah. They yeah. said he believes it because of the uh, film. Yeah, no. That's right. Rocket Man, yeah. And that's, that's, that's yeah from enough, the NS Sherlock Institute, really. Yeah, what about that? And so anyway, yeah. just, a few, just a few of the names there that are dying out. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from TalkSport. Andy, I've, um, I don't know if you saw this mm. uh, news today. This is uh, from Jose Mourinho. He, he says he's learning Korean. Did oh, you really? see that? I thought you were learning karate. Korean. <laughs> Why is it oh, to, for, to communicate with... Well, he said yeah, it's, it's respect to the culture of the club to speak the language of the individuals uh, in it. I mean, we know he's multilingual. Uh, mm. uh, and he can, you know, it, so really can converse with practically all of that squad. But I think there are four exceptions. So um, I've, 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 I can give you those now. So we're going to translate the special one okay. into the languages oh, well, we don't no, think yeah. he's, he's hoovered up yet. Okay. So we start. This is the special one in Korean. Have a listen to this. Okay. Oh, yeah. Here we are. It's well, quite hard to get hold of. Yeah, I'm not sure. Do you want to hear it once more? Yeah. Do you want to give it a try? I wasn't sure about the pronunciation. Okay, though. give it a try. You, I want you to repeat these, Andy. Okay. So here we go. First in Korean. Seems quite right. You just sort of went. <laughs> well, I, don't to, I don't want to appropriate. I don't want to be oh, culturally I'm just, okay. insensitive. You're trying to speak. No, you're not being culturally <laughs> insensitive. You're trying to learn a different Producer's language, not mate. Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, Welsh. Um, I'm all right ben, with Welsh. No, but Ben. I'm da- all right with Welsh. Oh, okay, all right. Okay, he's not, <laughs> he don't mind upsetting the Welsh. Oh, the producer, he doesn't care, does he? Well, he's very sensitive. So th- this is because uh, he wants to talk to Ben Davis, of yes. course, in Welsh. Yeah. If, okay, if yeah. it's true what he says, it's a respect for the culture. Mm. Uh, this is it in Welsh. A special one. 
It's a touch. <laughs> your your thing that you had on Harry Hill's show was perfect, though, when they, they said that Welsh language, if you play EastEnders backwards, it does sound like Welsh, and yeah. it did, didn't it? Well, I, I'm not getting involved in that. <laughs> but anyway, do you want to hear it again? I, I don't yeah. know if you should try, but this is I mean, it's mm. a touch. I mean, it's come from Google Translate, so it does. A, it sounds a bit um, robotic. Yeah. Let's, have uh, let's have a listen in Welsh again. Okay, the special yeah. one. Uh, Danish. Oh. Pierre okay. Emil Hoybier, of course. Yeah, yeah, um, we want to get that right. Yeah. So, what's it sound like? The special one. Then in is the in. The in is the in. Well, I think it is, isn't it? Really? <laughs> it certainly is. Well, how many times have we said that? Can we hear that again? <laughs> then in is the in. Okay, well, he'll give that a crack. Yeah. And finally, he's got Steve uh, Steve Bergwijn there, of course. So he want to he want to do it in Dutch. Yeah. The special. Oh well, it's easy. That's him. He won't struggle with he that. It's remarkable though the way he does yeah. that. You know, it's not easy. I mean, he's what is. Portuguese, German, he speaks uh, French, Italian, Spanish, Italian. Yeah, it's impressive, isn't it? Yeah, it's very impressive. And English. And Korean next for Sonny. Well done to him. So we'll see. There we are. So uh, yeah, yeah, make your friends with the Korean for the special one next time you see him, if you could understand what was being said. It's true. In that slightly robotic voice. Um, on the transfer front, Andy, it's like Ben mm. White's going to sign uh, a new deal. He's going to stay at Brighton, which is what they'd said all along, of course, because yeah. uh, he's a fine young player, isn't he? It's a bit of a blow it's, for Leeds. It's interesting but, that Brighton yeah. Chelsea friendly on uh, Saturday, because mm. not only the fact that there's two and a half thousand people going to be allowed in, which I think is tremendous news, but it's all that Chelsea's first game is Brighton away. So you, to arrange us, it's quite an unusual pre-season. Normally pre-season friendlies are, you know, I don't know, Reading or somebody like that. You know, but we got Reading tomorrow, yeah. Yeah, that's sort of the Ipswich <clears throat> which yeah. last week. But to play the team you're actually going to play in two weeks' time, the first game of the season, I think yeah. it's quite an unusual... That is, yeah, that, is, that, that is quite Maybe odd. it was arranged before the fixture list. Yep. Um, do you see Boris Johnson's personal trainer? I think he's got a big job on, hasn't he? <laughs> you could start by getting him to wear proper-fitting kit. Yeah, right? exactly. Stop wearing that sort of joke kit. He's Craig Opper's fleece and the bobble hat that he always wears. I mean, you know, as I said, I've always said it takes a lot longer to cultivate that image of not caring about what you look like when yeah, you run than actually true. wearing the right stuff, isn't it, really? <laughs> Very true. And uh, old rugby socks. Where's this thing? I had this story about Amir Khan. Oh yeah. Amir boxer Amir Khan has landed his not, own not the uh, plumber. Well no, I suppose it could be. Yeah. Could be a plumber, yeah. yeah. But it's not, it's the boxer okay. who's landed his own reality telly show, Meet the Khans, big oh. in Bolton. And uh, it'll feature the, his wife and the three kids. <laughs> the star very optimistically said the show which could rival keeping up with the Kardashians, I mean. Not really, is it? Not oh, is really? That, you know, I, I he imagine t- it'll be quite interesting. Well, it won't be good, it but may keeping not have up the global, the it may not have the global appeal. global show, isn't yeah, it? It's massive, yeah. you okay. know. May, I did say may. There was a caveat <laughs> in there. May, <laughs> may do. Yeah. It's, bit, it's better than saying <laughs> won't. Isn't it really the like show it. that won't rival? Keep it. It's a bit negative, isn't it? Before they've even well, put one know, in. That's me. I am quite negative. Yeah. And uh, I do love this story about an estate agent in Japan that was. Oh no, not in Japan. He was he was uh, Chinese rather, okay. Chinese origin, hmm. and he was in Vancouver and he was showing some people around a a, a flat. Uh, house rather with a garden. Oh yeah. And uh, <laughs> he didn't realise there was some. Uh, camera filming all this and he helped himself to pears and berries from the garden he filled okay. like bags of stuff and uh, not ideal really is it somebody you know showing you around your house starts nicking your fruit you can't you can't call it windfall I suppose <laughs> if you're standing there picking it off the trees <laughs> can you yeah and there's that thing isn't it if it overhangs you know you Yours, sort of please idea. take. Well, people do that, don't they? Have a bit of windfall from the garden. Mm-hmm. They leave a little barrel outside. Please, oh, yes, take. a woman did nice that recently. Touch. She left a whole load of apples yeah. outside, and then she got done for for uh, what was it? Fly tipping. 
Really? <laughs> the council had to apologise. No. Yes, yeah. You're joking. No, no. It's just a sort of civic happened. thing that people do, isn't oh, no. it? Although I've, I've noticed a little bit more. Uh, they, they, they'll kind of leave a rusty old bike frame out the front and they'll say, please take. Or stuff that's completely <laughs> yeah, worth, which no means idea, I, really? I, I can't be bothered <laughs> to go to the tip with it, really. <laughs> please take. It's National Burger Day today. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Well, you haven't told the moose? <laughs> he probably <laughs> won't need telling, will he, yeah. really? He'll be, he'll be and, straight uh, down. And uh, yes, there was International Dog Day. So every day is a day, isn't it? And yeah. never a day goes by without it being some kind of day. So when we were on yesterday, was Dog Day afternoon, was it? <laughs> very much so. Okay. Thank you very much. And uh, the World Tango Championships in uh, Buenos Aires, that's having to take place online. I can't imagine how that would work. You just start doing the tango in your house and I suppose somebody will judge it. Yeah, they'll you know? be judged. It'll be in some sort of courtyard somewhere. The, the Argentinian tango, Andy, I mean, I don't know if you've done it when you've been over there. It's, it's, it's quite different. <laughs> It's quite, you and the missus. Actually, that's while not looking true. over your shoulders at each other's phones. I went to a malonga. That's what they're called. Okay, and it's fascinating. Actually, they don't even. What start is a malonga? Is malonga it? is where they dance. It's okay, like you go, and there's a sort of unseen thing that you don't actually ask somebody to dance. You just sort of give them. I'm doing it with Elliot now. I'm giving him the look. I sort of give him. So the look. you're looking at Alex in the way that you. Yeah. So you you show show me again. Look at me. Oh. <laughs> That goes with your catchphrase. <laughs> it does. Nothing personal. <laughs> Nothing personal. Yeah. yeah no, you, you sort of you stare at a woman, and then they're sort of unsaid. So and you, then somehow you, you kind of stare at her. And both every, so yeah. It's not great radio, well, the whole thing. He's <laughs> the whole argue thing's the whole, whole thing is not great. But what Andy did then, <laughs> what a theory. he kind of stood there and he sort of he moved his head a bit and he raised an eyebrow right. and he had a kind of come hither <laughs> look about him. And so that's what you do when you go to yeah. the Malonga. And yeah? then they come together and they sort of go into a, a tango style embrace. And it's not like Tango, you see on Strictly. No, okay. It's like it's very intense. They hardly it's even like a move. game of Twister, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's most peculiar, really. But I, I spent one evening fascinated watching all these people. And doing is it. it always led by the man, or can the woman come over and do the? I uh, think the woman can do yeah, nothing think, personal. No, face. I think, oh yeah. And then, so did that? Were you just sitting there, mind your own? But did a lady come over to you and give you the old Malonga <laughs> face? She, I think she saw that I probably wouldn't be that good. <laughs> 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 the lack of coordination, even sitting in a chair, she could witness that. Well, what about that? We've learned something today. Next time you're in Argentina, you somebody looks at you like that. They haven't got a lazy eye. They and one place that Argentina does feature is Race Around the World. That's a great oh, yeah. segue, isn't it? And uh, apparently, according to the television column at the start today, Race Around the World's new series is on hold because of COVID-19. You know, No, really? You mean a thing that... Well, what isn't? Yeah, but also a programme that relies on you going from different country to different country yeah. in South America seems unlikely that it will happen you're better year. off just saying the things that aren't on hold because of the <laughs> coronavirus than the ones that are really we all know how it works mm. right now the Hawksby and Jacobs normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare it pays to be extra and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Daily Podcast. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Silvio Berlusconi, the former Prime Minister of uh, Italy, had a great run, of course, with AC Milan, incredibly successful mm. side when he was there. He had his issues off the field, I think it's fair to say. Yes. Uh, just about av- avoiding jail uh, a few years back. But um, he is back... He knows he, how to throw a party. He said, he said I've never been. I've never been. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's, he's back in football. Um, and he's trying to get Monza into the top division. AC Monza, uh, just down the road from uh, his old club, uh, AC Milan. We thought we'd find out a little bit more about this. Now from uh, the man in Milan, Italian football expert, Sheridan Berg. Good afternoon, Sheridan. Good afternoon. Hi there, guys. Yes, yeah, so, well, look, it's been going quite well. He's not had the club for very long, um, and already they've, they've, they've won promotion, so they're in Serie B at the moment, and who knows, they could be in the top division next year. Well, Berlusconi thinks it's already done. He, he's saying they're basically they're going for promotion, no messing around. They won Serie C, which or Serie C, which was curtailed because of the pandemic. But when it was when it was um, cancelled, they were 16 points ahead. And he and his vice Adriano Galliani, with whom he worked at AC Milan, were saying that if they hadn't cancelled it, we would have won it by even more points. And now he's saying we're ready for Serie B. We've got a war chest of 30 million euro, which it might not sound like loads, but don't compare it to the Premier League or La Liga or even Serie A. For Serie B, 30 million could buy you a a very useful squad. And his plan is to be this time next year preparing to take on his beloved AC Milan with his new club, Monza. His brother's the president, isn't he, as well? So there's a big family connection there. Yeah, his brother Paolo uh, Berlusconi is the president. Um, as I said, his old uh, lieutenant, his, his uh, right-hand man from Milan, Adriano Galliani, is there. Uh, the manager is a former Milan player, Christian Brocchi, who might not be massively famous to British listeners, but he was, he was Gattuso's reserve, basically. On the rare occasions that Gattuso was injured, Christian Brocchi would step in and cause mayhem in central midfield, and he's now the manager of Monza. What what's their story then, Monza? So I would imagine you know they're just say twelve miles uh, from Milan, and what sort of fan base have they got? Uh, they're not. I mean, you know, without stating the obvious, considering they're from close to the city of Milan, most of the people probably support one of Inter Milan or AC Milan. But this really has created, I would say, a fair amount of uh, interest, and and Monza are, are in the public eye, which is what. Berlusconi wanted. I mean, they're fa- they're fairly respected. You know, they were founded in uh, 1912, so it's not as if it's not uh, like Paris Saint Germain founded in 1970. So you know, they've got, I'd say, a small but very loyal fan base. But Berlusconi and Galliani's plan is to grow that and become a brand. And when Berlusconi puts his mind to something, for better or for worse, it normally happens. What's his relationship like with the Italian FA now? 
with the never to, well, the Italian FA, to be quite honest, never really had any problems with him. It was probably the more probably more the man in the street that had an issue with uh, Berlusconi. I mean, to be quite honest, it depends who you ask, really, what the average Italian thinks of him. I think it's like Tony Blair in the UK. If you ask someone, they might say Blair was a visionary, a man who brought Labour out of the doldrums and you know made Britain a better place. But if you ask someone ten yards down the road, they might say less complimentary things. Put it mm. that way. So it depends who you ask. Okay. So do you think that will people generally be rooting for him to get the team into the league or, or not? As you say, people, public opinion is split on that. Those that don't like him, those that think he was uh, a shady dealer, using my choosing my language diplomatically, mm. those who are against him will be hoping it fails and blows up in his face. <laughs> those, those that supported Milan or those that just love his way of doing things and his his fun-loving uh, philosophy, they'll be hoping that Monza can get into uh, Serie A and shake things up a bit. What about um, Messi now? He's been linked with a number of clubs, of course, here, Paris, but also some Italian clubs, Juve and Inter. Is there a lot of chat about that in the Italian media at the moment? Yeah, there's masses of a chat. The, 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 most, uh, the most quoted team, the most quoted name is Inter, Inter Milan. They, they seem to sort of be really going, um, their fans are... are dreaming about it happening apparently his father where well, it's not apparent his father purchased a flat in central milan which some are saying it was just a, a financial thing almost a a tax uh, purchase but uh, others are saying that this has traction that he could genuinely come to inter milan he saw what cristiano ronaldo has done in juventus which is you know had a you know enjoying himself and scored lots of goals and the talk is that you know, Inter Milan fans—they would really love to have him wearing the number ten shirt. But the Italian press are saying that if he does leave Barcelona, it's more likely he'll end up at Manchester City. Yeah. Just going back to Monza very quickly, Sheridan. Um, Balotelli apparently he's trying to twist his arm. He's had a word with, with Kaká. He's he's not massively Kaka. interested. Get him out of get him out of retirement. <laughs> oh, for goodness! And sake. Ebro as well. He, he's Latan. He's thinking, you know, why not? Let's see if we can talk him into it. But at the moment, Maldini. They yeah, they have bought some players, but they're they're kind of mid level players from different parts of European leagues. But he wants a kind of marquee player by the sound of it. Yeah, exactly. We we know what he's like with publicity and propaganda, and Berlusconi would love to get someone who has perhaps seen better days, but could still raise a few headlines. I mean, Barotelli would be a great name because he's someone who needs to rebuild his uh, his reputation, and he's from the north of Italy, so it'd be interesting to see. And if, and if anyone can convince uh, Barotelli to sort of drop down a division, it might be Berlusconi and Galliani. The other player they have they actually do have on their books that might be familiar to uh, your listeners is the uh, former Leeds defender, Giuseppe Bellucci. Right. He's still there. But other than that, their squad is not massively well-known. But, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they try and get someone perhaps mm. a bit long in the tooth, but someone who's still got a bit of charisma and a bit of, uh, a bit of panache. And Monza as a place finally sounds, you know, it sounds quite exotic, you know, because of Formula One and everything mm -hmm. and motorsport. But our producer has been there and he wasn't massively <laughs> impressed. Like Luton. No See, I didn't want to say that. No Andy. disrespect to Luton. He called it Italian <laughs> Luton, which I think is very harsh on Luton. We do apologise to the mayor of Luton. It's, it's not our words, it's our producer. <laughs> Don't welcome him back to the Arndale. But what, what is Monza like as a place? Yeah, I, I've been to Monza once, and I, that'll probably be it for me. So uh, I don't think I'll be, I'll be going back. It's okay. It's, it's very industrial. Parts of northern Italy are very, very industrial. I had a pleasant afternoon there. It was about four years ago, but uh, I don't, I don't expect to go back in a massive hurry, unless, of course, Monza win the uh, Champions yeah. League.
You might have to go there and report on games against Juve and stuff. And Cristiano there, that'll be interesting. The ground holds about 18, but I think it's only got a safety certificate for about seven and a half. So that's something they're going to have to work on if they get into the top division, isn't it? Yeah, they, they will. If they do manage to get into Serie yeah, they will. But I think I think Berlusconi's contact book, I think he knows a few construction companies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we'll leave it there. Okay. Cheers, Sheridan. All yeah. the best. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. How nice to see a guest in the studio. We're not going to let him go. It's going to be until yeah. four o'clock. It's going to be for months. Uh, because obviously that, that's not at all possible at the moment no. in, in our building. But uh, Matthew Side is Times columnist, which is, of course, how he can get in the building. Yeah. And also uh, uh, an author and Olympian, let's not forget. Uh, he has a new book out and it's called Dare to Be You. It's second, I think it's your second book, uh, Matthew. Good afternoon. We Good, say, look, it's great to be here. Second book aimed at a, a, a mm. younger audience. That's right. So I wrote uh, a book called You Are Awesome in 2018 and I thought of kids' books as a bit of a sideline, mm. but it's really taken up a, a lot of my life. And this new one, Dare to Be You, it kind of was, I mean, part of it is my daughter, Evie, said to me, seven years old, Daddy, has my life been ruined? And I thought, <laughs> wow. why, why, why is she saying this? And oh, I realised that when I make breakfast in the mornings, I've had the radio on, Times Radio, sometimes the Today programme. And she'd been hearing all of these messages that children's lives have been devastated. It's been oh, a disaster. Yeah. Wow. They will never be able to catch up. And she spontaneously said this to me. And look, don't get me wrong, it's been a difficult period. Mm. You know, a lot of people have been anxious, parents and, and young people. But I think we're getting the tone a bit wrong. You know, we if you take a step back, you know, the world that these kids are going to grow up and arrive into after leaving university or school is going to be one of change and disruption. I mean, I'm in print journalism. That might not exist in five years' time. Mm, yeah, yeah. And this book, really, it's for kids from uh, sort of 8 to 14, is to try and give them a few messages about how it's important to be comfortable with change and uncertainty. And if you have that resilience and adaptability... It's probably the biggest asset you can have, more important than a degree or a diploma. Yeah, interesting. It, it is interesting. It, it, you kind of talk about the kids kind of having the freedom to sort of be themselves as well, you know, yeah. and whether, not always trying to fit in. It's sort of that sort of dare to be different sort of aspect. Yeah, and, and, you know, you hear often from parents that there's a strong pressure to conform to what the crowd is doing and you have to fit in. But I think it was ever thus. To be it was fair. ever thus. Mm. It was ever thus. I think for what it's well, I think social media makes that even more difficult to stand out from other people. I also think social media makes it difficult to take risks and to occasionally fail because on the social media, you're constantly surrounded by people who look yeah. as if they're living perfect lives. Yeah. You know, yeah. Airbrushed photos and wasn't this holiday perfect? But of course, occasionally taking a risk and messing up is how we grow as human beings. So I want to. That's the other message I want to get across: is you know, it's okay to make a mistake. That's part of life. It's a part of learning. Don't, you know, if you love acting, don't refuse to join the school play because you might fluff your lines. Everyone has fluffed their lines. It's how you deal with it that matters. And I just think overall in the way we talk about young people today, we accentuate the negative. It's all about depression and anxiety and mental health. Don't get me wrong, these are important issues. Mm. But it's, it's perfectly natural to feel anxious about appearing in a school play or about going back to school. We shouldn't medicalise normal 
human emotions. Mm, yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. idea. It's true because I remember when I was at school, if you if you had your hair cut, people were hair cut. Oh, well, you know, yeah, but that's that's a right. So although I see culturally, a, a mate of mine who moved uh, to Spain lived in Barcelona, and uh, you know he'd been there a short time, and this guy came into the office and he had a haircut, and he started going down that route. Who did that, etc., etc. Yeah, saying etc. And they said, "Why are you?" Everybody in the office said, "Why are you saying that? Why?" Yeah. It's like this terrible affront. So it was a bit of a cultural faux pas. Well, I mean, in, a, in a funny kind of way, you know. I, I have quite an unusual ethnic background. Mm. I'm half Pakistani and half Welsh. Mm. I don't know how many people in the mm. new UK building <laughs> shares that particular background. But, you know, when you're young, you sort of think, oh, gosh, this is awful. I'm different from... I grew up in suburban Reading, you know, yeah. where it's almost exclusively white most of my childhood. But actually, having that background and the insights I get from my dad, who came from a different culture, and my mum, whose father worked in the mines and mother grew up on a farm, it does give you something distinctive. And sometimes I think we should be proud of these differences rather yeah. than constantly trying to squeeze ourselves into a particular... I mean, if you think about this, in the creative industries, you want people who think a bit different, who can come up with a new idea for the show or... A, a different topic Absolutely, that can yeah. be a real strength rather than a weakness mm. as you said social media though it means you do get that instant reaction of your peers don't you and that's right. the difficult thing you know you come up with something you put out an opinion yep. you say or something could even be on sport be you could be a young kid saying oh I don't think X is good enough or we should sell this player yeah. and then there's this world of pain that, and then you know, oh, I wish I'd be. you know it's, it's quite difficult isn't it I think it is difficult and I think there's two ways to think about it the first way is to say we are going to wrap our children in cotton wool Never allow them to access the social media. Never allow them to go into any situation that might prove difficult. My own view is that's quite unrealistic. I suspect that social media and online platforms have become, become more important as we go along. Yeah. Occasionally you're going to get people who disagree with you or who rebuke you. They may be the occasional troll. I think a much more rational way to do it, and what I try and do in this book, is to say to kids, you know what? You will face some of these difficulties, but it's okay. You know what? Ignore the trolls. If somebody points out your weakness, look at that opinion and say, do I have a weakness? Could I address it? Is this useful information? Criticism can sometimes be quite good, mm. quite healthy. It's, it's kind of the opposite of helicopter parenting. Exactly. Exactly. You know, which is, I think, so damaging for kids. You've got to let them make mistakes. You've got to let them fail. I agree with you on that. And, that, and it's, it's, I think it's often, I mean, I don't want to generalise, but that middle-class obsession with our kids being perfect all the time, mm. I think... Can, it's so wonderful. Everything you do is wonderful. It's a bad thing to do yeah, because when is. they get into the real world, the, people aren't saying everything they do right. is wonderful. And, you know? and don't you think, I mean, you know, we're obviously on a sports channel here. I think sport can be quite a useful... Um, educational tool for young people because you got you know if you think about going on to the court and you're having a game of tennis and 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 you lose the match you have to learn to deal with the occasional setback yeah. you can't always win in sport it's quite a I mean, brutals may be overdoing it, but it's quite an exacting environment. Mm. And I think you learn about yourself. You learn about how to lose with dignity, hopefully. You learn in team sports to work effectively with other people, another really useful skill. And I think if we give kids more positive messages, messages about how they can deal with the world, how they can develop the, the, the mental strength, resilience, adaptability, I think all of these are positive things. And I think helicopter parenting, for what it's worth, denudes children 
of some of these positive attributes. Well, on the other side, though, Matthew, what about coaching in sport, which has become harder and harder? Because it's harder to say to a, an athlete, young athlete, you're rubbish, you're useless, you're this, that, and the other. You, you're not allowed to do that. Oh, yeah, it's an interesting one, though. That's a really interesting... It's interesting. Yeah. Because you went through a process a long time ago, where probably working as, as a young player in table tennis, and, uh, and coaches had certain approaches that they couldn't have now. Yeah, so I, for what it's worth, I think that there was a type of coach 20 or 30 years ago who were basically bullies they were they were quite nasty and vindictive i had a <laughs> i had a pe teacher at school who who i'm not going to mention his name yeah, good. but i don't want to get I you think, a libel action we all have one we all you know <laughs> what i'm talking about here who was genuinely nasty i mean he he, he would deliberately try and belittle mm. people and he had sort of a, a really nasty streak i think in certain football uh, environments you get the coaches who think that their job is basically to shout and humiliate but that's not particularly healthy mm. if you say to a player who goes out to play a game of football you know i'm gonna scream at you if you mess up i mean imagine if you're a concert pianist and someone had a gun to your head and said yeah. you know if you make one false move i'm gonna shoot you they're not gonna play rachmaninoff particularly well <laughs> no, <they're not. laughs> or or whoever yeah. um so so i think enlightened coaching is about encouragement and nurturing however if a player is not training hard enough mm. if a player is not putting their finger out i think you need to be able to say clearly directly and sometimes in quite a strong way what you truly think mm. and, and and i think it would be a terrible shame if sport lost that capacity for clear and open dialogue mm. because really often you're you're up against nations uh in some sports that have a very different uh, attitude and modus operandi of course and so it, I'm, I'm not saying it's the right way to go and we shouldn't be following their example yeah. but that's a fact isn't yeah it? And, and i i you know if i had to put my um what's the word i'm looking for if i had to put my flag in the grid that's not the right expression yeah. <laughs> but I, colors to the mask that, that's yeah, what that i'm looking do. for i would say we've gone i think that we were too far in the direction of sport being all about a very strong and dictatorial coach i think we've gone in too far in the other direction it's become too democratic and i think coaches are not able to say what they truly think and I think that's a poor thing. And have a you, have you, as a journalist, have you spoken to coaches that that, that feel that that they they, they feel that they, they're slightly sort of new to this things they can't do anymore? More than I can convey, yeah. because I, I get emails a lot from coaches who are about to drop a player because they genuinely believe that they're not good enough. That's a completely legitimate thing to do, mm. and they're worried they might be on the end of a of an action because of it. Um, you know, coaches typically want to win and dropping players who they don't think is good enough is part and parcel of what selection has to mean i was slightly concerned you know we've talked about this actually briefly a couple of years ago you know this this concept of broken dreams mm -hmm. that if you go to a football academy and you don't up and end up in the premier league then you somehow have been victimized by the game i mean some young players have been treated shabbily but it's perfectly natural that in a sport where millions want to be in the Premier League and mm. only a very select few can get to the Premier League, there will be people who are filtered along the way. That isn't the end of life. Sometimes it's great to have given it a go. You don't quite make it. You try something else. You learn from football. doesn't mean you should look back on that with bitterness and resentment. Mm.
Very Matthew Sides with us in mm. the studio. We'll chat more. Uh, dare to be you. Defy self-doubt. Fearlessly follow your own path and be confidently you is uh, available. Is it out next oh, week? September the 3rd. September the 3rd, it's available. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport. Matthew Side with us in the studio, the Times columnist and uh, author. His new book, Dare to be you, um, is available on September the 3rd, aimed at uh, a younger audience. And uh, a couple of things in the... Times column. I saw you tweeting about. It's not. It's not often that around a test match, the, the person you tweet about is the umpire. But <laughs> Michael Goff has had a lot of really good press. Hasn't yeah, he? and I, he's a standout umpire. Isn't brilliant, he? brilliant. I'm only think of the pressure that an umpire must be under when they know that a decision they make can be almost definitively overturned hmm. in front of a massive number of people while they're stood out there in the middle. It really does focus the mind. And I was watching the cricket with my dad. My dad's not been very well the last couple of years. And I went down to Reading on, on Monday, I think it was, to watch the cricket with him. And uh, we, I think a graphic came up about the number of times that Michael Goff had been, his decision had been appealed. And the number of times he had got it right and the person appealing had effectively got it wrong. And I can't, I can't remember the exact stat. I think stat, it was but two it was, out of 41. It was so much higher than anybody else's yeah. success rate. So in the mid-90%, yeah. right. Mm. And I thought, goodness me, and I sort of went back and had a look at his, his career. Um, eight seasons in a row, he was voted umpire of the season by the players in the domestic game. And people were saying that he isn't just brilliant in terms of his accuracy of decision making but he also understands the game how to you know get rid of confrontation how mm. to how to jolly the whole thing along and i thought you know we typically only ever talk about referees when they make a howler you know graham pole <laughs> three <laughs> yellow cards or whatever um but it, i think he's probably the best umpire in the world he's he's english from hartleyball and he takes it very seriously mm. you know, he prepares scrupulously and i i thought that was worth yeah i've got yeah. the stats here in front of me yeah his uh, score is 95.1 percent <clears throat> the nearest one is uh Darmasena at 78.7 percent Ian Gordon, who's also a good umpire, on 77%. So wow. it shows you. The amazing. difference is amazing. There was one decision that was fantastic that I can't remember who it was, but it was, oh, yes, it was Abid Ali, the, the captain of Pakistan. And uh, it, it got a snick. And it just, for all the world, it looked like LBW. When yeah. you looked at it, you went, well, that's out. That's definitely out. And they all appealed and they reviewed it. Just the time. How did he see that? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Incredible. what I find amazing is when, you know, batsman comes down the crease and it bounces on the turf and hits the pad very quickly. So you haven't had much of a sense of the trajectory of the ball post-bounce, mm. which is obviously what you need. And of course, the further the batsman is forward, the more difficult it is to know how much it's going to deviate between the contact point and the stumps, not least if it might go mm. over the wicket. And I love the way he peers down, you know, and he's, he's factory. You can see him taking all these variables into account and then bang, and again and again. The other thing, are you, have you played... I mean, I played uh, yeah, cricket I played at university yeah, and yeah. then village cricket. So you always take turns in the middle, and it's actually quite difficult difficult to oh, sustain your judgment well, I was rubbish <laughs> Absolutely because there's shit, you know there's this massive you don't do anything for like three overs you know the thing that I'm focusing on is moving the pebbles from one oh, yeah, hand to the other you don't have a seven yeah. ball over and then you get this massive appeal and you're kind of a bit discombobulated and to try and keep your your mind free of mm. the uh, of all of that emotion I think is really tough so I, I, I actually um, mm. uh, sent a message to someone who I thought was his wife turned out I think to be his 
cousin. I'd love to find out how he prepares for these matches. Yeah. These. My two best ones were I gave somebody not out and he came up the other end and I said to him, did you touch that? And he went, yes. So <laughs> very, about two balls later he was out the other end and they, I just gave it out. Yeah. <laughs> we, we got some great calls, didn't we, over there. We did a cricket show years and years ago on the station and uh, there was an old umpire they used to play. So basically oh, yeah. the, the bowler would bowl and they'd do a number on him and somebody would go... And shout, how's that? <laughs> Click their fingers next to his ears, shout, how's that? And he'd go, oh, yeah. Because he was about 80. So just all it took, all it took, as soon as he got near the edge of the bat, they clicked their fingers. I gave out our captain once and he just walked off waving his bat at me. <laughs> I, I, I will never forget being given out. If this guy's listening, there's a guy called Rob Keane at, uh, at college who gave me out caught behind and it missed my bat. It was like it was like the Flintoff one. It was about, about half a yard. and they, I hit the floor, you know what I mean? And yeah. so there's a bit of a sound at the same time that the ball was going past the outside edge. I will never forget. I don't think I've seen him since then, mm. but I will always remember it. <laughs> one so thing you said yesterday mm. in your column, and I, I, I've sort of ringed it because I wasn't sure about it. You, at the end of this nice piece that you mentioned, watching cricket with your dad and how much you enjoyed it, you, you say, they say that test cricket won't last forever. One thing's for sure, we'll miss it when it's gone. Why, why do you think it won't last forever? I think it's as strong as it's ever been. I, I really hope so. I really hope so. I, I was watching it with Dad. I don't know if you do this. I had it on in the back. We had it, you know, I wanted to catch mm. up with, with my old man and, you know, we're chatting away about, mm. about life and, and, you know, my growing up and school reports. And then we'd pause, both of us naturally, as the next delivery came in. <laughs> and then if something happened, we'd discuss it. Or if the graphic came up on screen. But otherwise, we'd just pick up the conversational thread. It was just marvellous. And I thought of how often I've listened to TMS in the background or the coverage here, which is very mm. good, by the way. Yeah. You're still doing the live cricket conference. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's good. Ongoing, yeah. On TalkSport 2, tour, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 very, very good. And, you know, so I enjoy all that. Um, and But I keep reading that the attention span of younger people is such that eventually test cricket will not feel consonant with the way the world is going. I hope that isn't true. I would I think, love. I think, it I think helps it, that Coley, for example, loves. Yeah, test you need. Cricket. You need. Yeah. You need your great players. Top people to evangelise about it as yeah. a format, really. And he 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 does probably more than anybody because yeah. the power that he wields in India, you know, where they have been going off of the longer form of the game, he's so important, really. But do you think it's conceivable saying that you know the next generation, when more money perhaps is coming into the shorter forms of the game, you know, who knows if there'll be another format that's launched by some entrepreneur. And then suddenly, you know, test cricket is even more eclipsed. Yeah. I think it would be tragic if it left. I think you know, anyone who's grown up in a cricket-loving country will tell you that there is nothing, possibly in the whole of sport, that compares to a great test series. Mm. The way the drama unfolds slowly and incrementally and it builds and there's a kind of a narrative texture to test cricket that I don't think you really get. No, I agree. No, it's wonderful. It's like, yeah. I, like it's I like all forms of cricket, yeah. but it is I the think best. It is the best. Yeah. I can't wait for one ball. You just basically bowl one ball each. That's it. That's the super short form. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we, we spoke to the one of the authors uh, of a book called The Best, um, and you wrote the foreword for the book. Uh, it was uh, Mark Williams we spoke to, who wrote it with Tim Wigmore mm. from The Telegraph, and apparently you put them together, uh, Mark was saying, you, yes, you thought they I should did, work I together did. on yeah. Yeah, on, the, on the book. Mark's a very really good sports scientist. Mm. You know, one of these sports scientists who actually looks at evidence and performs experiments. 
which isn't always the case. And he was very keen to write a book, but hadn't done it before. And I had met this uh, Tim Wigmore of the Telegraph. He lives quite near me in Richmond, so mm. I bumped into him in a cafe. And he's quite a thoughtful writer on sport. He's mm. very interested in data and other things of this kind. So I, I suggested that uh, they have a chat. And I'm glad it's it's come out now. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a it, fine it book. covers some oh, fascinating some ground. Um, yeah. One was... Um, as we talked about going to the going to good schools, we talked about Millfield, the idea that so many people that were Olympians, so many of our cricketers have gone for a public. So going to good schools helps you. But if you like, so does going to a bad school. If inner city kids, they were talking about um, cage football and and uh, street football, yeah. where it can still survive, right. is so important. Uh, the great French players that have come for it, the great. Uh, England players we currently have in Raheem Sterling and uh, Callum Hudson Adoy have all played cage football. Wilf Zaha, all these guys have uh, kind of learnt their skills playing street football, playing with older boys, yeah. playing on all different size pitches and all different sort of surfaces. And it struck me with Celtic losing last night. I know this is a bit of a quantum leap, and that <laughs> ongoing chat about about Scottish football that was built on these tanner ball players, these wonderful, mm. skillful players that were, came out of street football. In some ways, you almost have to force it. I don't understand why. In some ways, they're not yeah. building cages all over Scot- Scotland yeah, I mean, and yeah. getting the kids out there yeah. and playing. Yeah, no, I agree. There's two sort of points, I think, that, that come together in that. One is, with certain sports, there are quite high access costs. So if you don't go to a good school, you're never going to get access to a boat, for example, if you mm. want to be a good rower. Mm. Or if you don't go to a good school, it's unlikely you're ever going to be able to find a horse that you can learn to do equestrianism on. You know, there are certain sports, golf is one, where if you haven't got the clubs, how are you ever going to learn how to play? Mm -hmm. So that access requires middle-class wealth for people to get involved. And that's why a lot of Olympians come from these richer sports, because a lot of the Olympic sports are elitist sports. Yeah. As you know, mm. rowing, equestrian rowing has something like 14 medal events. But there are other sports where the access costs are very low, like football. You just need a ball and a pair of boots. And that's why I think you have so many people coming from what we used to call working class backgrounds mm. in football, because it's much more democratic. They've got an, it's a quality of opportunity, if you like. Mm. So talent outs. The other thing, though, and this I think is really interesting, is whether people learn better in structured or unstructured environments. So if you think back to, we're talking about cricket. When I was coming through in cricket, I got a book by Jeffrey Boycott called How to Play Cricket. Mm. And I've got to tell you, it was so didactic. It <laughs> said you have to have your right eye, if you're a right-handed batsman, <laughs> over off stump. You have to take the bat back in a particular way. And if you don't do that, it's a sin. Yeah. You know, it's, you'll go to hell. Yeah. Um, and and it, was, it was very top-down, very regimented, very structured. And then you look at someone like Steve Smith, who learned to play through trial and error. Mm. It's completely different to anything Boycott would have recommended, but the guy is brilliant, and he's able to play in different environments because he it's an organic way of learning. Mm. And I think that's the best way to learn football. Yeah. There's too much top-down coaching, too many coaches shouting from the sidelines. Mm. We should let players develop the skills and the perceptual awareness that are so important. You do need some structure, don't get me wrong, but I think we often, particularly in British sport, get that balance wrong. And, those, and the book says that the players that... Mm. They 
then go into the formal system that have come from that street cage football background often are a couple of years further down right. the line than the other boys of their age exactly. because they've got these street smarts and as I said they've they've been exposed to football in lots of different ways their thought processes are different they're playing right. against older boys they're yep. used to that they're more they're more robust yeah, that's in, right I mean yeah. if, you, if you think about foot, foot, the, thing, the, the, the distinctive thing about football is there are lots of different dimensions if you think about when you receive the ball you have to both read the player who's passing it to you how fast is the ball coming but you also in a proper game have to be aware of where everyone else is so mm. that you you can very rapidly move the ball on to someone else. So you're taking in lots of things at the same time. If you learn how to dribble by running in a straight line up and down the pitch, you're not aware of what's going on around you. You're not, as it were, integrating the perceptual awareness that is so important. So I think that, unstru- you know, what do they call it in football? Game-like situations mm. are a great one. I think we don't do enough of that. And I yeah. think that's been a weakness. Lovely to see you, Matthew. Loved it. Thank you could you. all stay here till four, actually. All the very best with the new book. <laughs> the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. The Talk Sport Clips of the Week. Well, it's time then for the Clips of the Midweek, a day later than usual, because well, basically we forgot yesterday. Yeah, we did. Got a bit busy. <laughs> so uh, we'll have some fresh stuff for you next week, but uh, this is an old box of mini-discs that surfaced when we... Yeah, fresh stuff tomorrow. Oh, so yeah, fresh stuff tomorrow. But yeah, some old mini-discs that, that were lying around in an office. It's like the Lost Tapes. So this is November mm. 2006. We've not heard these clips. Since no. uh, since November 2006, the producer has given us some uh, new intros, so off we go. We're looking forward to it as well. We start with, as we often have, with Mike Parry. Words spill out of me like tea from a clipper uh, rounding the horn. <laughs> <laughs> and they continue because he's on, yeah. he's on talk radio at 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock on that's, Saturdays. That's right, and yeah. sticking with Mr Parry's somewhat tortured analogies... They're living in a perpetual cauldron, okay? In a goldfish bowl, Michael. Well, more than that, in a microwave oven. That's where the England players are playing. That's where the heat comes from. You know, it is like a microwave oven because in a microwave oven you can't see the heat, okay? Yes. But the heat is there. Well, that's like playing in England for an England international. You can't see the heat, but the heat is there. So it's the (laughs) microwave oven effect that gets the England players and sometimes messes around with their brains. Mind you, if you're in a microwave oven, it would mess around with your brains, but you understand what I'm saying. (laughs) But don't you remember when he said Wayne Rooney will explode like a tomato? Yeah, in a he, he said he'll burst onto the scene and explode like a tomato in a microwave oven. And a bloke phoned up and he said, I agree with you, Mike. Wayne Rooney will explode like a tomato in a microwave. <laughs> so that was clearly Mike ran with that. But yeah, he had he no, he'd not thought about it before. He just, anyway. So this is John Gaunt discussing Top Gear with a caller. Hmm. Let me ask you a question. Why would you not watch it? Are you just well, not interested in cars? or? There's two reasons. I'm not interested in cars and I don't have a television. Well, pretty good, really. <laughs> Not necessarily in that order. Yeah. <laughs> it's Graham Beecroft speaking for the nation alongside Alan Brazil. I tell you what, I went to last night. I went to, uh, it was Freddie Fletcher's uh, benefit night. Oh, yes. Who's Freddie Fletcher? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, there we are. So, uh, <laughs> was he the bloke who was at Newcastle? I think he, I think he was. He I, th- I, th- I think he was. Anyway, this is the. Uh, it maybe, or maybe he meant Freddie Flintoff and he just got it wrong. Um, this is the news now, uh, discussing renowned super agent Peeny Zahavi. The FA last night urged FIFA to act against super agent Pina Zahavi. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, what about that? I'm not, I'm not saying anything. No. George Galloway now introducing a caller. Let me go to Ola in Bolton and let's hear what she has to say. Ola, thanks for phoning Talk Sport. It's not a she, George. 
It's not a she. Because George would always say, we give priority to women callers, didn't he? And then <laughs> he, did, yeah. he did that a few times with people, didn't he? <laughs> Put them through and it was men. Here's a call at a drive with uh, Rodney Marsh. I mean, we went into a game against Villa with three midfield players that just can't tackle. And how he's how he's expecting to get points out of games uh, with his selections, I just don't know. Yeah, but sorry, do you think all you Australians are a little bit fickle? Oh what? All you Australians are a bit fickle, aren't you? Hey Rodney, you're way after Mark, buddy. I'm not an Australian. Okay, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Barnhurst in Kent. <laughs> did you notice though after Rodney yeah, had accused did, him did, yeah. accused him of being Australian he became more Australian <laughs> rather than less Australian what part of Kent it, was it the people go around with corks in their hats yeah look a lot of, you've been to Barnhurst they're like that yeah look no look yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's like that all the time uh, so uh, what's next Andy it's Andy Townsend and Mike Parry now talking music so when I was there yeah. there was a purple one right. with purple leather Right, being shipped out to the States Prince. to someone rather famous. You've got it gotta in be. one. Got to be. Purple Haze. Well, not really, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Prince is famous. Although he probably did a cover version of it purely because of the colour. And he was a good enough guitar player to pull it off. Uh, this is the one and only Lisa O'Sullivan with some sports news. Dirk Kout's given Liverpool an injury scare. He lasted just 16 minutes of Europe's game against Bulgaria, limping off with an ankle injury. Europe? <laughs> <laughs> Representing Europe. When do they have a team? Anyway, sticking with European football, here's Mr Parry talking about the French national side. The Macaleles, the Vieiras, the Henri's, the Trezeguets, the the, the Lillian Thurmans of this world. Lillian Thurman? (laughs) (laughs) Una Turam. So, uh, right, uh, co-host this, co-host Andy Townsend did pick him up on it later, but of course Mike had an excuse lined up. Don't you start trying to pick me up on min- minor issues where my tongue suddenly wraps around my esophagus. <laughs> That's not possible. I'd have to see him do that. That would be a YouTube sensation. That'd be up there with the uh, cinnamon. With the cinnamon, wouldn't it? So there we are. Back that was 2006. How the world unfolded. We'll, we'll try and remember next Wednesday and bring you some more uh, classic uh, clips of the midweek. Then also we've got hey, a fresh batch all being well tomorrow around the same time. 3.30. Do we, we, do we? we never know till we get We never to know. It. No, yeah. we might have had... Uh, there's been a, once or twice and we've just not had enough. Not many. I think one week we had five. Not <laughs> many no, times. But look, that, but you can put that right. <laughs> the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. That was us. We're back tomorrow with Eclipse of the Week and a whole lot more besides. So thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on TalkSport. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.